This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, and today I've got a returning guest of the show, Julie Liu, who has spent the last 11 years in consumer goods marketing, first with Shiseido, working on a clean beauty brand in the Asia-Pacific region, before making the move over to grocery six years ago. Julie is currently the National Manager of Commerce Media at Ghirardelli Chocolate Company, responsible for leading the company's retail media and digital shopper marketing strategy across confections and baking. Welcome back to the show, Julie. Thank you, Carrie. It's so great to be back with you again. Yeah, you're one of my favorite people to talk with about shopper marketing and retail media something that you have a unique perspective on given your sort of crossover in roles. And that's what I wanted to talk about with you today is the evolution of shopper marketing and how, you know, we've got a lot to learn from each other, I think, on either side of the aisle. (laughs) This is a topic that I know that you're really passionate about. So would love to start there and just your view of the evolution of shopper marketing at least in your career. Yeah, Kiri, I was last on your show probably about 18 months ago. Yeah. And so much has changed, you know, during that time, obviously with the pandemic and shopping behavior, but also personally with myself as I change roles. And currently I am at Ghirardelli and I've been here for almost a year. And it's been interesting seeing the shift from, you know, what we call traditional shopper marketing to now this omni slash digital commerce focused lens. And when we last spoke, I was still at Cliff Bar and I had spent about five and a half years there, both on the shopper marketing team, as well as the e-commerce and Amazon team. So definitely learned a lot. And I really see shopper marketing as one of the first functions to go omni, but it was more so behind the scenes. In what way? Yeah. So, you know, shopper marketers, first and foremost, they are supposed to be consumer focused. So everything they do is to be laser focused on the consumer. We are supposed to be studying their behavior. How are they reacting to changes in the marketplace? How are they reacting to advertisements? How are they engaging with brands at shelf and digitally? And so what you'll see here is a lot of shopper marketers Their backgrounds have traditionally been in the brick and mortar space, obviously, with customer marketing, a lot of brand managers as well. But we've also seen a lot of shopper marketers come from the agency side. And so over the years, you know, the shopper marketers, as they've increased their scope of responsibilities, they've been able to adapt because of the roles that they've been in the past, whether that's brand management with a holistic view of their overall business or on the agency side, helping clients execute campaigns that are inherently more omni-focused. And so I think what you'll hear about shopper marketers is, you know, if you ask any shopper marketer in your organization when they started working on digital media, you might be surprised that it was actually many, many years before the pandemic. And maybe it was just more so behind the scenes and nobody really noticed 
But from what I gathered, that team has really been the first to learn more about digital marketing versus other functions within the organization. Yeah, that's interesting. That's sort of the context that I hear shopper marketing spoken about, in all honesty, is from the e-commerce and digital folks who are sort of begging, borrowing, and in some cases, stealing from shopper marketing budgets. (laughs) And so from my seat, there's sort of a little bit of a tension between the digital and e-commerce team and the traditional shopper marketing team. Is that something that you experience on the ground and as someone who's, you know, crossed over both roles? Definitely. And Carrie, we hear a lot now about the digital folks or the e-commerce folks doing all of the education and, you know, making sure that information and trainings and resources are democratized throughout the org. But what I really want to hit on is that shopper marketers understand retail and there are tons that us digital folks can learn from these traditional shopper marketers. You know, you think about these shopper teams, they understand merchant relationships promo plans, planograms, secondary merchandising, and things that are so essential to operating in the brick and mortar space. So like salespeople, they really understand the ins and outs of what's going on in the physical store. And obviously, while there is so much focus on digital right now, what we learned was that the demise of brick and mortar that we were all talking about the last two years was greatly exaggerated. And non-e-com sales actually rebounded far more quickly in 2021 than we had originally expected. So obviously, while shopper marketers need to learn digital marketing and media, you know, to me, it's also imperative that the digital folks need to learn traditional retail. There have been more than a few instances where I've talked to reps at the media arms and PPC specialists, and I've gotten the question about what an in-store display is. So that's where shopper marketers really have the advantage. They've got the foundation and the relationships with the retailers and the sales folks. So I think it's important, you know, I can't remember if it was Diana at Colgate or Brian with Omnicom that said, retail media is just that. It's retail plus media. But there's so much focus on the media part, and I just want folks to remember the importance of the retail part too. Yeah, so explain that a little bit more. So as a digital marketer, why should I know what an in-store display is? Why should I understand planogram? And you'll have to explain to me also what secondary merchandising is because I don't know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, so... You know, because these retail media arms, they are positioning themselves as truly the omni-channel solution, right? We're obviously driving e-commerce sales online or flex fulfillment options. But a huge part of what is happening through retail media is that ability to influence what's happening in store. And so when we set up retail media campaigns, whether that be, you know, our search strategy or display banner pulses, We really want to make sure that we're aligned with what the sales teams are planning within the physical space. So, you know, we might have an end cap on display for Easter or Valentine's Day or Christmas. How does retail media also play into that? And how can we use retail media to enhance or amplify whatever is happening in store? So it's really important to have these two functions communicate with each other. 
and make sure that whatever each of our teams are doing is really in sync with one another. And again, just putting the consumer first, like shopper marketers are tasked to do. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack here because I think that in practice, what happens is the shopper marketers are incentivized and measured on what happens in store and the e-com and digital folks are incentivized by what happens, what sales are directly generated online. And so I really resonated with your point about retail media buying has the ability to influence what happens in store, which is a good thing for the brand at the end of the day. If the retail media campaigns are reinforcing in-store promotions and what's being displayed on end caps and things like that, that makes a ton of sense. And for the good of the brand and for the good of those products, that makes sense. But generally, that's not really how it works from a KPI and incentive standpoint. It's more siloed, I think. And so that's where I think there hasn't been a lot of collaboration in the past, it seems, because everyone's kind of focused on hitting their own targets, whether that's in the store or online. Yeah. And if we go back to what we were talking about before we started recording today, you know, if we think about it really from the perspective of business schools, right, and not necessarily by department. So what is it that we are trying to achieve together as a team, as a company? And how can we unlock more opportunities by working together? So I know Russ Deringer has recently been on your podcast, and I really liked a post that he recently wrote about digital penetration not being the ultimate vision, right? And Russ was really telling us to not necessarily focus on just e-com or digital KPIs, but understanding what growth looks like for a brand holistically and how digital and e-com can play a part in that. So I think it's definitely a shift in mindset. But again, what I've seen is that shopper marketers are really primed to help and support and drive that shift in mindset, just given how their scope has changed over even the past five to seven years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything else that you'd add to that question around what else could we learn from traditional shopper marketing that you think kind of flies under the radar in terms of skill sets or knowledge? Yeah, definitely. Shopper marketers, like I said, they are extremely flexible. And last year, the Path to Purchase Institute, they had done a study on shopper marketing organizations. And when I read the results, nothing really surprised me because everything that they found was pretty aligned with my experience as well. But what they shared out was that the discipline has become such a jack or jill of all trades that it's become really hard to structure and recruit for. So their focus was, all right, let's not talk too much about what the right structure is, but let's just make sure that the paths are there and the doors are open so that different teams can collaborate and we can just think more holistically and have a more flexible vision for what this team or what this department can look like. Yeah. And so do you see, given that the shopper marketers, these jack of all trades and they understand the consumer and come with all this sort of rich consumer experience, do you see a lot of shopper marketers moving into digital focused roles or do you see these roles converging at a certain point? Like will those distinctions start to go away, do you think, or is there still a need for 
separate disciplines around online and in-store? I think they will converge, Kiri. But I also think it depends on where your organization currently is with the digital e-commerce learning curve. You know, what I've seen is that there are quite a few smaller to mid-sized brands that definitely still have someone who's supporting in-store initiatives specifically, and then someone else who is either running their Amazon business or Omni and D2C. But with the larger organizations, I think because they have bigger budgets and more resources, they're able to think a little bit more long-term about their strategy and how they want to resource for their teams. One thing I will note, Carrie, is that I think we're probably about a couple to four years out or so in terms of really seeing a convergence here. But I do want to say that traditional shopper marketers are extremely hungry to learn about the digital space. You know, even the tactics that they're relying on right now are all moving digital, whether that's digital coupons or digital FSIs, digital marketing at POS, you know, even things like integrating QR codes into shelf signage, right? Those are all things that shopper marketers are doing right now. So I think back upon my own personal experience back in 2016, when I started at Cliff, my very first project when I started was to get online content for our brands to support Amazon. And it was such a tedious project and I couldn't see it back then, but we all know that hindsight is 2020. And now looking back, I realized that that was the project that laid the foundation for my passion in e-com and digital. So if you ask a lot of shopper marketers, they'll probably have a similar experience. You know, maybe it's not the same project that I had, but maybe it's with something else that they've worked on that has been in the brick and mortar space that has allowed them to plant that seed and start to grow their knowledge of digital marketing. Hmm. Yep. So do you have any advice for e-commerce people working with shopper marketing departments and vice versa, ways that they can collaborate more and sort of, yeah, collaborate more and work on those shared business outcomes together? Mm -hmm. Just come at it from a business goals perspective, honestly. You know, the whole budget and ownership questions, people can get really bogged down in that. But if we realize that, you know, the consumer is here and this is how they're shopping and this is how they interact with a the brand, then we can find ways where we're both activating in order to meet the consumer and reach our shared business goals. So again, not so much thinking about it from the functional perspective or, you know, is this lower funnel or is this upper funnel, but ultimately, you know, understanding the shopper and how we can reach them through whatever ways that it is. Well, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That is at the core, what everyone wants to do. And I think we get away from the core of that message, the simplicity of it. Let's find where our shopper is shopping and the most effective way to reach them. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what everyone is trying to do. So getting back to basics and focusing on that core problem. Much yeah. easier said than done, yeah. Much easier said than done. But yeah, it's a great point, getting back to basics in that shared goal. Yeah. It might be, you know, once a month, maybe there's a casual brown bag lunch that the teams have together where they're sharing what each function is learning. It could be giving shopper marketers an opportunity, like maybe it's an internal, I'm just calling call it an internship or some sort of assignment to give them some exposure to what's happening in the space and vice versa. You know, when we think about the digital folks, specifically about Walmart Connect, right? 
they're launching in-store capabilities. So Walmart is bringing that first-party data into the store. So that means that the e-com folks or the digital folks also have to understand what's happening in the physical space. So again, just finding those opportunities for both teams to learn from each other, sit in meetings together, and just build a good rapport with one another. Just writing some notes. This is great. So just to close, oh, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Yeah, Kira, you did ask about disciplines converging. And another thing that the Path to Purchase Institute found in their study was the name of shopper marketing organizations. You know, largely they are still being called shopper marketing, but many, specifically the larger companies, are moving towards this omni-commerce, omni-channel digital commerce view. And if I think about my title currently at Ghirardelli, yes, I am working on retail media, but in the long term, it was important for me to think beyond the scope of just retail media and what might happen in the next 12 to 18 months and have my title reflect where I think the future is headed. And generally to me, it's just commerce. It's commerce media, shoppable media, commerce marketing, whatever you want to call it. So all ads are opportunities for commerce. And I think it's really important for us to realize that and be a little bit more forward thinking. Mm, That's a great point. So Julie, what are you excited about in the world of retail marketplaces, retail media, e-commerce? Selfishly, Kiri, I am excited about the next few years of growth for retail media. When I started working on retail media a few years ago before the pandemic, it was really just seen as a bolt-on tactic or something that we invested in as part of a merchandising negotiation. But what we've seen across the industry now is that retail media has become table stakes. And over the next few years, I think we're going to see more folks interested in retail media, especially those digital agencies who are realizing that retail media is going to be, I think eMarketer said, like 20% of all digital ad spend by the end of next year. Mm. And, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, the things that I've been thinking about over the past couple of years actually start to come to life. So, Carrie, for example, over the Christmas break, I had coffee with an old media buyer and she's moved on to a new agency now, but she shared with me that her clients that she's working on are now more in the restaurant business, but they're leveraging Amazon advertising to drive awareness amongst those searching on Amazon for ingredients that are used in her client's restaurant menus to encourage them to go out to the restaurant. So it's really fun to see that brands. Exactly. Yes. So it's really fun to see the brands are realizing just how valuable the first party data is and how we're all shifting our mindset from, you know, Amazon or these retail media platforms being just pure performance driving for those specific retailers, but how we're really starting to see, you know, at least Amazon as a holistic brand building platform, regardless of the channel or the tactic. Yep. I am all there for it that you're speaking my language. I'm yeah. like Miss Retail Media 2022. Yes. <laughs> this will be my life for the next couple of years and Love I'm it. not sad about it. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's exciting. There's a lot of complexity and for brands, particularly CPG brands, where we're seeing a lot of grocery retailers and drugstores bring out their own retail media networks. And like you said, that can be part of the merchandising negotiation and 
those retailers might have their hand out and say, you, you need to spend a certain minimum on our platform this year. So brands are being, in some cases, willingly adopting retail media because it produces a great ROI and it's where the shoppers are and it makes so much sense. And in other cases, they're going to be sort of dragged kicking and screaming onto these platforms. And the question is, how much to invest and where? Whose cup do you feel first? And how do you measure success? And just to spruik <laughs> some upcoming research that we're doing at Bobsled, we are working on a framework to help brands think about how to allocate their retail media spend across, maybe it's just Amazon, maybe it's Amazon and Walmart, maybe it's Amazon, Walmart, Instacart, Albertsons, Kroger, you know, all of these retail media platforms that are popping up. Whose cup do you fill first and what types of ads do you run? It's getting very complicated. And the good news is there is a solution out there for every use case that a brand might have, whether that's conquesting, whether it's awareness, whether it is bottom of funnel, high ROAS ad units. There's an ad unit for every use case, but the trick is knowing which ad unit, what type of audience targeting, and what the point of diminishing returns is for all of that. So it's we're at the early days. I'm really excited about it. It's very complex, but it's going to keep me pretty busy for the next couple of years, I think. <laughs> That's great. I mean, you really have to have a different strategy for each platform. And Although, you know, we kind of take Amazon as the basis, right, for what we yeah. know and how to activate on all these other platforms. What we found is that, you know, what works for Amazon probably won't work for Walmart or Instacart, just given one, the capabilities of the platforms, but two, the way that we find people interacting with these platforms too. So really looking forward to your research. Yes. Yes. And so if you're listening to this and interested in that topic, it's coming out in May I think if you go to bobsledmarketing.com, it will now be under the research section and we'll be doing, me and my co-author, Matteo Bizon, will be doing a webinar and there will be a report and we've got a very fancy kind of framework that we're working on as well. So check that out. It's called Retail Media Allocation and it's in the research section at bobsledmarketing.com. All right, Julie, here's my last question for you. What have you changed your mind about? Kiri, I go back and forth in my mind about Instacart. Oh, so, yes. wow. Okay, because yes. you actually you were one of the contributors <laughs> to my book about Instacart. So, wow, okay. <laughs> Tell well, me I more. Was, I was reading your book, you know, now that it's been 13 months or so. Yeah. And I just go back and forth in my mind. One day I question what their long-term strategy is. And then another day I feel like I'm really interested in their new marketing capabilities and you know, seeing such great results on sponsored search and their new self-service display offering. So that's the one where I definitely flip-flop, you know, depends on the day. Maybe I'll have a different opinion on Monday versus a Friday. But I definitely see that one as another topic for us to dig into at another time. <laughs> So if I could paraphrase what you said, still seeing good results from ads, but wondering about their long-term place in the ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah. It feels like they're trying a whole bunch of things and trying to see what sticks. I can see that. Yeah. So I definitely, it's a big question mark. 
some names are more enthusiastic than others. Yeah, there's going to be some pressure from other Instacart competitors, whether they're direct or or more substitutes, like a GoPuff, for example. They've launched their own media platform and that's got its own sort of specific audience and reach, which, you know, I think is more limited compared to Instacart in terms of how many consumers you can reach there. But yeah, it's a good question. I think that, yeah, definitely factors into the excitement about the landscape too, because Instacart is offering really great ROI for brands, but it also still needs to be an attractive place for shoppers to shop and a company that is actually economically viable to continue to operate a media platform at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. yeah, and if you if you think about it from the brand perspective, you know, because it's not tied to a specific retailer and there's no trade funding behind it, you know, a lot of Instacart is funded through shopper marketing or sometimes national media or brand budgets, right? So it can be tricky because over the past few years, a lot of brands have had money shift around from different areas of the business due to the pandemic. But now that we have some sort of normalcy happening now, it's like, well, how do we actually fund Instacart in a post-pandemic world? Yeah, absolutely. And as the grocers also bring their own retail platforms online, is that shopper marketing and trade funding going to shift back to the retailers who eventually stand up their own media platforms? interesting times. Well, we'll have to have you back on in a year or so and recap again. Yeah, we can do a Instacart for CMOs V2. Or maybe yeah. the next one is like quick commerce for CMOs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> we'll keep talking about that. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Julie. Love getting your thoughts on these topics and good to speak with you again. Thank you so much, Kiri. It's been an honor and a pleasure to join you again.